welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is about Mark chapter 12, verse 18 through verse 44. What's more important, worshiping your religion and knowing a lot about it, or worshiping God in sincere obedience and love? Why did Messiah say to beware the scribes and false teachers? What were they doing that was so wrong? Do we need to beware the same kinds of people today? If we shouldn't behave like those people, then who should we be like? What can the differences between the different people Messiah met in today's portion teach us about the difference between pretension and authenticity? Stay tuned through to the end of today's program for Eliyahu Ben David's insight on these questions and more in Mark chapter 12 verse 18 through verse 44. And now, here's today's scripture portion. Mark, chapter 12, verse 18 through verse 44. There came to him, that is Messiah, Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection. They asked him, saying, Rabbi, Moses wrote to us, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife behind him and leaves no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no children behind him. The third likewise, and the seven took her and left no children. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be of them? For the seven had her as a wife. Yeshua answered them, Isn't this because you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of Elohim? For when they will rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But about the dead that they are raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses about the bush, how Elohim spoke to him, saying, I am the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob. He is not the Elohim of the dead, but of the living. You are therefore badly mistaken. One of the scribes came and heard them questioning together. Knowing that he had answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is greatest of all? Yeshua answered, The greatest is, Hear, Israel, 
Adonai or Elohim is one. You shall love Adonai your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Truly, Rabbi, you have said well that he is one, and there is none other but he, and to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Yeshua saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of Elohim. No one dared ask him any question after that. Yeshua responded as he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself said in the Holy Spirit, Adonai said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? The common people heard him gladly. In his teaching, he said to them, Beware of the scribes who like to walk in long robes and to get greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the best places at feasts. Those who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Yeshua sat down opposite the treasury and saw how the multitude cast money into the treasury. Many who were rich cast in much. A poor widow came, and she cast in two small brass coins, which equal a quadrant's coin. He called his disciples to himself and said to them, Most certainly, I tell you, this poor widow gave more than all those who are giving into the treasury. For they all gave out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, gave all that she had to live on. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David on that portion. Greetings, everyone, and welcome. We have a very interesting portion of Scripture from Mark chapter 12, verse 18 through 46. And our overall theme is pretension meets authenticity. And a very interesting thing happens in these verses. There's more than one way to look at them, but one way to look at them is as character studies of the people that Yeshua is meeting in these verses. And I think when you do that, it's kind of interesting to see the 
contrast in the attitude of these different people. Now, in tonight's lesson, we started with the Sadducees, but of course we realize this carries on from what we studied earlier last week, where Messiah dealt with a number of difficult characters, right? And had amazing answers for them. And so the Sadducees kind of carry this on of what we have been seeing in the earlier verses. And it makes a point to tell us about the Sadducees that they say there's no resurrection. And then it has this whole ridiculous story that the Sadducees brought to Yeshua, and it's just stupid. I mean, it would never happen, and it doesn't even take into account other things in the Scriptures. So it really is kind of a stupid story. However, what's going on here is that with other people besides Messiah, if they brought this story, then those people would kind of cower in front of these guys. In fact, I bet you that they had used that story before. I don't think they made that up in that moment. I think it's a story they probably kind of pulled out of their bag of tricks whenever they were arguing against the resurrection. And these guys, these Sadducee people, they fancied themselves as rationalists. Now, isn't this interesting? Because nothing ever really changes. We think of ourselves as modern people, so we think these rationalist kind of people are something that's kind of new, you know, part of this modern world. However, it's not true. There have been people like this that think that they have the superior reason, the superior intellect, and they've got it all figured out. People like Bill Nye, the science guy, who thinks everyone who believes in creation is a Neanderthal. And Richard Dawkins, who scoffs at anyone that believes that the world could be created by God because it's not reasonable to these guys. Well, that's how the Sadducees felt about the resurrection. And just like these guys, they made a career out of it. Don't miss that part. They made a career about coming across as the smartest guys in the room. That's what they were really about. That's what the story was all about. We have got this figured out, so you just shut up. That's them. I hate people like that. Well, I don't hate the people. I hate them doing that. It's really awful. Okay, so after they came across with this, and they're expecting they're somehow going to cower the Messiah, he comes back at them saying, isn't this because you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures, and you definitely don't know God. I don't think they expected to hear that. But isn't that the truth? You know who these people are? Have you ever seen the movie The Wizard of Oz? And you see the great and powerful Oz. And then the little dog Toto pulls back the curtain. And there's this old guy in there talking into the microphone. That's these people, okay? It's all a big show. They really aren't that smart, friends. 
They just want everybody to think they are, and they intimidate people into thinking they are. But Yeshua could see right through them, and he could see the truth. The reason they're putting on so much, like they're so smart, is because they really don't know anything. They don't know what's important. They don't know the scriptures, and they don't know the power of Elohim. And can't you say that about Bill Nye, the science guy? Can't you say that about Professor Dawkins? Can't you say that about all of these rationalist people who think they're so smart? What do they know about the Word of God? What do they know about the power of God? You know, I read an article from a scientist who has been working 20 years on projects and theories related to CERN, you know, the collider, and they've been doing lots of different things, such as researching the God particle. You know what he said? He said, the scientists are starting to be disappointed with CERN because their theories are not being proven out. They've done all of this elegant math and research, but it's not happening in the experiments. And this is so pervasive that many of these scientists that had been involved with CERN are just going to do something else because it's going nowhere. You know what one of the big problems is they're having? They're finding particles doing things that are very important to the structure of the universe that they say are not natural. In other words, it's not following the formulas. It's not following the math that they have made up. It's as if these things have to happen this way, and someone just made it so they have to happen. I wonder who that could have been that did that. Well, they haven't figured it out. They do not know the power of God. And what does that make them? Well, you know. Well, that was their problem. Their whole riddle just like shriveled up like a house of cards with this truth that Yeshua gave them, that their assumption on which they were building their entire argument was stupid. And you really can't call it anything but stupid. Now, that might seem rude, but hey, it is what it is, right? No, in the resurrection, why would you assume that people are going to come back from the dead and live just like they did before they died? That's stupid. Don't the scriptures show us that when we come back, our entire lives, everything about our lives, will be dedicated to the service of God? Isn't that different than the world we live in now? And what about the new heavens and new earth? Doesn't that imply that things will be different? They didn't figure that out. And then it says, Yeshua said, about the dead. Now, okay, I'm going to educate you about the resurrection now, so pay attention, you guys, that they are raised. 
So he's saying the dead are going to be raised from the dead. He's calling them dead, and he's saying they are raised. He's not saying they didn't die, okay? He's making an argument for the resurrection of the dead. And then he says, haven't you read in the book of Moses about the bush? Why does it say about the bush? Some people ask that question, and it's a little aside. But you'll find this sometimes in the scriptures. And what this actually is, is back then they didn't have chapter and verse in the Bible. So if you were having a conversation and you were trying to make a reference to scripture, you would simply reference something that was unique about that portion of scripture. And in this case, the burning bush was unique. So it helped them to realize where the place in Scripture is that he's talking about. We might even do this sometimes today when we don't remember the chapter and verse, right? We might just make a reference to something. But that's why he says about the bush. But then he goes on and he brings up what Elohim spoke. I am the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob. He is not the Elohim of the dead, but of the living. You are therefore badly mistaken. Not just you're wrong, you're badly mistaken. I thought this was interesting from the Believer's Bible Commentary, and it simply explains the logic of this argument. One, God had made promises to the patriarchs concerning the land and concerning the Messiah. Now, beyond promises, what he made was covenants. Covenants. These promises were not fulfilled during their lifetimes. When God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, the bodies of the patriarchs were in the grave. Yet God spoke of himself as the God of the living. He must fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, resurrection is an absolute necessity from what we know of the character of God. So do you see the point there? If he's made a covenant, then they need to be present for that covenant to finally be fulfilled, right? So that's an evidence of the resurrection that even the Sadducees should have been able to see and understand. And, of course, the reason why he's using this is because the Sadducees only recognized the Torah. They didn't recognize the prophets or the writings, just the Torah. If you go into the rest of the scriptures, you have many, many more places that talk about the resurrection. So, on the one hand, you have these Sadducees who obviously were very presumptuous and kind of arrogant kind of people. And then we have one of the scribes who heard this whole thing, and then he's drawn over to ask a question of Messiah. This scribe is different. You know, we're always hearing about the scribes and how wrong they were, but here we have a scribe who is actually drawn to Messiah because of the truth. We can learn from that. You know, we can learn from that because we want to share the truth with people. And sometimes somebody that you don't expect 
might hear you talking about the truth and they come over and approach you and ask you about it. And it would be very easy to think, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, you're that kind of person. And so, you know, you can't be asking me a question for a good reason. No, Messiah didn't assume that about this man. We need to not label people, even if normally things would be different. But this man really had a good question, too. He asked, which is the greatest commandment? And of course, we know what Yeshua answered, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, the two greatest commandments. And we have the man's answer where he repeats this back, paraphrases it back, and adds the fact that this is more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And I think you find a certain contrast right in this scribe's words, because on the one hand, he's agreeing with Messiah that Messiah is right about loving God first. And then he's saying this is even more important than the offerings and sacrifices. Now, the nature of the offerings and sacrifices could be done by people on just a religious level, right? I mean, there were certain prescribed sacrifices. So at the correct time, you could bring your sacrifice in and do it. Do you have to love God to do that? You can just fulfill a religious obligation. People do this all the time, by the way. You can be in the mafia and kill people and then go to mass because it makes you feel better, right? Religious obligations, just people fulfilling what they see to be religious obligations. And what he's saying is actually loving your creator and loving your neighbor is more important than fulfilling those religious obligations. Now, I think that distinction and him recognizing that distinction tells you something about his heart, doesn't it? I think it tells you that he was a man who loved God. That's what I would think from what he said, and that he recognized this distinction between just going through the motions and actually loving God and your neighbor. So when Yeshua said, you're not far from the kingdom of Elohim, I believe he was recognizing what he saw in this man's heart. And just compare this man with those Sadducees. Even though they were both part of the religious system, right? But they were both very different. Now, as you all know, I'm not a big fan of the religious system. And I think there's a lot of people in the religious system who are a lot like the Sadducees. I'm talking about leaders now and teachers. I think a lot of them are like the Sadducees. But I think there's still some there who are like the scribe. I think there are some people in the religious system who really do love God and realize 
that he is more important and loving him is more important than going through the motions of religion. And they're not far from the kingdom of Elohim. We need to pray for those people who are still captives in Babylon like that and pray for them to come out and be set free and enter fully into what Messiah is doing. And just another reminder, not all scribes were bad. Don't judge by labels. I think this is a good admonition to the church, too, with their doctrine of replacement theology, where they say, well, Israel was rejected. No, not all Israel was rejected. They should read what Paul wrote in Romans 11, right? But not all Israel was rejected. This is telling you the true state of things in Israel when Messiah was there. There were pretentious, evil people running the system. But there were also righteous people who wanted to love God and love their neighbor mixed in there. And it was Messiah's purpose. And time was allowed so that those righteous people could come out and be joined to the assembly. And this is what gets totally overlooked with this, the church replaced Israel idea. It is not consistent with the true historic picture or with the heart of God towards Israel. Then we had this part about David. We know, of course, that the Messiah was to be a son of David, right? So Messiah wasn't saying here that the Messiah was not the son of David. What was he really saying? Well, I believe the purpose of him bringing this up was once again to show the common people that the religious leaders were not as smart as they pretended to be, did not have the spiritual authority that they claimed. And there was a great deal that those religious leaders didn't know. Why would Messiah want the people to realize that? Isn't it so obvious? He wanted to set them free from control of these false teachers. He was kind of trying to put a crack in that religious spirit that was controlling some of those people, keeping them under bondage to those false teachers. And he was doing this right in front of those guys in the temple. So it wasn't like he was going behind their backs and gossiping about them. This is something very different. Very different. You know, in my newsletter, I put out an article about a certain televangelist and prosperity teacher. Told the people, basically, well, if you get me a jet, maybe you'll get one too. 
This was his fourth jet. How many jets does one guy need? Of course, he's got millions of dollars, a big mansion. And why are all these people giving him money? Because he's telling them, if you sow into my jet, then God is obligated to give you what you want. It's the prosperity gospel. And in that article, it names people. Those people need to be named, right? There's nothing untrue about any of them. It's simply telling you what they're doing. And that's what Messiah was doing with these people. He was simply telling the common people, hey, look at these people who are your leaders, who are your teachers. Look at what they're actually doing here. And he was waking up people. It says the common people heard him gladly. And then he says openly, beware of the scribes. And he talks about the religious pretense. He uses the word pretense. For a pretense, they make long prayers. Oh, yes, and they devour widows' houses. A pretense, the Greek word here means an outward show. So that's what their prayers are about, an outward show. To make them appear holy and religious. These will receive greater condemnation, Messiah says. Do they deserve that? Do they deserve greater condemnation? Well, of course they do, if he said so. They are using the name of God for their own evil agenda. You must not use the name of Yahweh in vain. He who uses the name of Yahweh in vain will not go unpunished. The commandment says, yes, they will receive greater condemnation. And that wasn't just back then. That's now. Beware of the scribes. Beware of the false teachers. Those who devour widows' houses. You know, we could go on with stories about these televangelists, and what they have done to people, how they have robbed the poor. And sadly, people fall for this. These will receive greater condemnation. But does that mean everyone who teaches the word on the radio, everyone who teaches the word on TV or by the internet, like we're doing right now, that all of them are like that? Well, speaking for myself, I haven't started my fleet of jets yet. I don't have a million-dollar mansion. And if I ever did have giving at that level, you can be absolutely certain it would all go into the ministry. It would all go into airtime and getting this word out to people. 
It wouldn't go into gold rings and fancy suits and big houses and luxury cars. Shouldn't that tell you something when you see these people living like this? Contrast that with this man, the Apostle Paul. This is what he said. For we are not as so many peddling the word of Elohim, but as of sincerity, as of Elohim. In the sight of Elohim, we speak in Messiah. He didn't use the word of God to enrich himself. Instead, he gave of himself in service to the true God. And he accepted every kind of abuse. Long list of things, finally ending his life in martyrdom for his faith and for all of us. This is what a true teacher of the word should be like. Paul, the apostle. Well, then we have another example to compare with that picture, and that is the widow. And she gave so little, just two small coins. You know, she was like a lot of people today. I doubt she would have even been at the temple. I don't think she was taking depression-altering drugs back then. A lot of the poor people, you know, are on antidepressants to get through life. For them to even show up at a meeting can be a very big thing. She didn't have that to rely on. And as we can see here, she didn't have much, plus she was a widow. And that means a tremendous loss in her life. If she had children, now she had an additional burden in the sense that she had to not only provide for her children, but care for her children in the absence of a father. And she did have a difficult battle she was fighting. There's no question about it. And just to show up at the temple, I think, would be worthy of note. If I was there and I saw her and I knew about her and her life, I know that's what I would think. I would think, oh, it's so good to see that sister here today because I know it's just so difficult for her to be able to make it. If you knew that and you saw that sister, and then you saw her take out her last two coins and throw it in the box, what would you think? Would it make you want to get down on your knees in that moment and praise God? It's a big deal. You know, Messiah said, 
The first will be last, and the last will be first. I think when we get into the kingdom, we're going to be surprised at who some of the leading figures are <laughs> in the kingdom. You know, a lot of times I think we're thinking about some of the big-name people in the Bible, and that may be true, but I bet you there's going to be a lot of people like this who will actually be more advanced in the kingdom than some of the people that might readily come to mind. Some of these more humble kind of people who were faithful every day with difficult circumstances and dealt with those things in dignity and in faith. Authentic people with real love. It speaks volumes to me that Yeshua noticed this woman and pointed to her as an example for us. It tells you so much about the kind of man that he was. It tells you so much about why those who knew him and those who followed him were willing themselves to give their own lives before they would betray him. You know, when I think about things like this in the scriptures and what they tell me about him, it so impresses me. I, I know that we're all trying to be more like him, but none of us are. <laughs> you know, not like this. And he deserves to be the king. He's the only one that could be the king. He's the only one that has the heart to be the king. Because he's like this. You know, this is what tells us that he is for real. And that when he comes and he takes up his throne here in the earth, that we're going to have righteousness. We're going to have justice. We're going to have love. People like this are not going to fall through the cracks. They're going to be taken care of. To me, this is hope. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, the world is headed off a cliff. And we can't solve the problems. Human, the human race can't solve the problems. They're too big. Our own human nature dooms us every time. If there's any hope, it has to be in the Messiah who cared about this widow. My closing verse, I wanted to read this prayer from the Apostle Paul. And I think this is really such a great example of the authentic faith. He said, This I pray, 
that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Messiah, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are through Yeshua the Messiah, to the glory and praise of Elohim. That's pretension meets authenticity. You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. The scripture verses referenced in today's program are Mark chapter 12, verse 18 through verse 44, Exodus 3, verse 6, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, Romans chapter 11, Exodus 20, verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, Mark 10, 31, and the prayer read at the end is Philippians 1, verse 9 through verse 11. Eliyahu also read a quote from the Believer's Bible Commentary on Mark 12, verse 26. Further teachings and study materials on presumptuousness in the Bible, humility in the Bible, how the Judeo-Christian religious system fell into apostasy, the consequences for taking God's name in vain, Maintaining a personal relationship with your Creator, the Resurrection, Romans 11 and the faithful believing remnant of Israel, the Apostle Paul and his life as a Torah-keeping Israelite in harmony with the other Apostles who were also Israelites, the verse-by-verse Eliyahu ben David bet Midrash episode on the burning bush, along with the episode on the Greatest Commandment and other episodes on the rest of the Torah, the Covenant, the Renewed Covenant, Messiah, Messianic Prophecy, How Messiah Fulfills Messianic Prophecy, Messiah as the Son of David, Messiah's Kingdom, Real Authority in Messiah's Kingdom, and the Word of Elohim, along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N. Dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom! Ask for the ancient
The restoration of the remnant of Israel is one of the most undertaught, neglected, and unknown major events in Bible prophecy. A strange fact, since prophecies and references to this event can be found all throughout almost every major book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, Yahweh has raised up Zion ministry to teach His remnant nation of Israel everything they need to know about this often neglected truth in His perfect timing. To learn who the remnant of Israel is, what the Zion mission is, and why we teach the things we do, go to our website at zion.org and click on Remnant Vision in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. Not forsaken you, you are my own.